All right. Sorry. I like it. Everybody's having fun. Let's pray together. Jesus, uh, we're thankful to sit here together today. And, and really, we come to remember what you did on our behalf. You, uh, you made it possible for us to sing today. We'd have nothing to sing about, Jesus, unless you, you came to this earth and suffered and died and defeated death and resurrection. So we, we celebrate you today, Lord. Uh, we got a crazy week ahead of us. We want to handle it well. So uh, you lead us. We don't want to lead ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's talk about politics. How about that? <laughs> I knew my wife would laugh anyway because uh, I never talk about politics. Matter of fact, I, I like space out anytime she does. I wanted today, in light of what we've talked about for a while, just to give you a biblical view of po politics. I promise you, I will not convince you who to vote for. On uh, who could convince you who to vote for? Um, I thought for just for, for fun and because it's really important, I'd walk you through the Bible real quick and give you just a biblical idea of God's view of politics, which a lot of folks post on Facebook like it's God's view, but this, this will be actually from, his, from the Bible, so uh, that'll help. So who, who's the first ruler of the earth? Adam. Adam and Eve, right? So God created all the animals and the plants, and, and he created Adam and Eve. Remember the beginning of the May series? He created them in his own image, and he gave them dominion over the earth. And so there was this perfect combination of Adam and Eve, a man and a woman, and together they ruled. They had dominion on the earth. They were the rulers. And then they had kids, <laughs> which disproved some of their leadership, I'm sure, as most of our. It, it, they had kids, and, and then Adam became responsible for his children. And before too long, uh, later in the book of Genesis, we see a guy named Abraham come onto the scene, and Abraham is tapped by God to lead his people. Notice who the first, the first rulers are? Fathers. That's what, that's what government's supposed to look like. Like a dad loves, leads, disciplines his kids out of the depth of his heart. So there's this guy named Abraham, and they had a hard time getting pregnant. They got pregnant really late in their life, and they had a child. His name was Isaac. Isaac met a young lady named Rebecca. They got married, and so, so now you've got Abraham with a son named Isaac who then has a son named Jacob. He has another son, but he has a son named Jacob, and, and Jacob has 12 kids. I mean, he, his, his family makes the Reeves family look lightweight. So there's 12 boys. As a matter of fact, he has some girls too. He's 12 boys. He needed a van bigger than a leverage van. I mean, to get all them kids in. So you got Adam, and then we jump down to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, patriarchs, dads, fathers. We come back to our little maid series we did several weeks ago, and we worked through this idea of marriage. There's this picture that, that perhaps the greatest form of government are great dads and great moms, the tag team. Maybe from the very beginning, as God designed mankind, the expectation was that this was supposed to be about family. And that the earth would operate really well if dads did their jobs and moms did their jobs. And they actually had dominion over the earth and they passed it on to their kids. 
Nobody has sway in my life like my dad. Some of y'all remember the day, the first, man, when I was 12, I remember this day. We went to a camp, and it was a work day. And so all these men came, and they worked, and my dad brought me. And there was these two-by-twelves. I don't really know what they were doing with the two-by-twelves because I wasn't allowed to swing a hammer, but I was allowed to move two two two-by-twelves. And all day long, I carried two-by-twelves, hand them to my dad. He did something with them. I don't know. They built something. All day long, I went to the pile. Evidently, we didn't have any machinery. I was the machinery. And, and we went back and forth all day long. And as the day progressed and as I got more tired, what motivated me was the pride of my father because I knew he was proud. Now, my dad's generation isn't much about telling people they're proud and giving hugs and junk like that. So I don't think he ever told me he was proud, but I could tell he was proud. By the end of the day, I was exhausted. We stopped and got something to eat on the way home, and I could feel my father's pride. You talk about good government. That's motivated out of a man's love, out of the desire to impress somebody who loves me. I can remember at 15, I had a 79 Pontiac Grand Prix. All right, so that tells you a little bit about how it was used. It was really old. But anyway, that tells you a little bit how old I was. And I was coming down Midway Road. It was, a, it was a pretty steep hill. And I don't know if y'all remember, them Grand Prix were heavy. So I'm coming down the hill, speed limit's 35, and I'm picking up pace and, and clueless about it because I'm driving to school at 15. I know everything's changed. But anyway, I'm driving to school at 15, and, and by the bottom of the hill, I'm at 55. And guess who's at the little church parking lot down there? Yeah, your friendly neighborhood police officer. And he pulls in behind me, and I'm on my way to school. My friends are passing me. I'm over in the, off to the curb, and he walks up beside. I am scared to death. Why? Because I could go home and see my dad. That night at the dinner table, my mama was scared for me, right? Like, it, we ate dinner. Everybody laughed. My mama leaves the room. You know how your mamas do sometimes when we get on out of here, and she gets on out of the room, and it's me and dad, and, and I don't know if she tipped him off or if, that, if I was the first one to deliver the bad news, but I'm like, Dad, why am I afraid? My dad never hit me. My dad never yelled at me. So I, I just came up in a special home, so I, I'm going to go ahead and state it. But I was scared to death. You know why? Because I wanted his affirmation. I don't want to disappoint him. That was the guy I was trying to be like. And so I told him, and I said, Dad, and I showed him the ticket, and I slid across the table, and he had one sentence. I still remember. He's like, happens again. Insurance is yours. <laughs> that was it. He like, nothing else. I'm like, that sounds expensive, Dad. I mean, can we negotiate? There was no negotiation. I had one of them dads. Evidently, Derek, Dad might operate like that on occasion. There was no negotiation. It was just whatever Mr. Lifer said is what happened. Or Mr. Reeves said it. That's what happened. That's good government. Good government. Because he loved me. He wanted the best for me. He wanted me to learn how to use that brake coming down the hill and become responsible. So that I could uh, pass that on to my kids. Got any granddads in here? Any granddads? We got a few grand. Any great granddads? That's a proud granddad back there. I know that one. Any great granddads in here? All right, we got a great granddad in here. So there's this, there's this really cool thing. As you're reading through the Old Testament, it becomes, we call, start calling these guys patriarchs because they have grandchildren, and then they have great grandchildren, and, and nothing makes a granddad as proud as a grandchild, right? Sometimes I'm wondering, like, mom and dad, y'all, y'all love me or what? Why y'all keep calling my kids? 
They probably have some reasons because my conversations are two minutes long. But they, they keep calling my kids. They even call my wife. But they, they, they are invested in those kids. And my dad, he, he never cried when I was growing up. There's never a tear come out of the man's face. Isaiah comes on the earth, and he's crying for no reason. Isaiah made a two-foot basket, and he's crying. I'm like, what happened to you? Because that is a reflection of him. Because he put all his stuff into me, and now he's seeing me put it in his child, and he can see it. It proves who he was. He's a patriarch. My pops is a patriarch. I hope I'm a patriarch. So, so I need some young ladies to I mean, introduce yourself to my sons. I got some sons, and I mean, we need to get something going here. <laughs> no kids, no grandkids. 49, it seems like it's happening fast, Mr. Life. I'm going to be gone. I ain't had no grandkids. But anyway, there's this, there's opportunity to be a patriarch, to take the good news that I've been given and pass it on to my children. Nothing, nothing better than that in the early form of government, as you go through the Scripture, it is fathers. And then they become tribes, right? Jacob has 12 sons, and we have 12 tribes. Eventually, the people of Israel are taken captive by Egypt, and we see Pharaoh as the government, <laughs> the one-man government. And Moses comes along and sets his people free. And then we have Joshua and Judges. And God continues to appoint uh, redeemers for his people. Pretty cool reading through Joshua and Judges if you've never read it. Then you get the first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. You got these stories of all these kings. It starts with Saul, who's just tall. <laughs> Man, if all they say about you is you tall, <laughs> you got some work to do, bro. I mean, because it ain't about how tall or short you are. It's about who you are. That, that's all we say about Saul. And then came this young man named David, and he's a great king. Maybe we'll talk about him at some point. And then there's lots of bad kings and just a few good kings, and the people of Israel live under their government. And you see the good days with the good kings and the bad days with the bad kings. Hey, it's not looking good for us right now, right? So, so what? So along comes the Babylonian Empire, and if you keep reading, you'll, you'll hear about a leader of Babylon called Nebuchadnezzar. I always just like that name. I couldn't name my kid that, but Nebuchadnezzar, and he leads, and he conquers Israel. He conquers the northern kingdom, and then the southern kingdom comes in. It's a long story. I can't give you all the history. Then the Persian Empire takes out the Babylonian Empire. Then the Grecian Empire takes over the Persian Empire, and then the Romans come in, and they wipe out everybody, and the Roman Empire rules the earth for 500 years. As great as they were, they were still on the clock. They became the empire in 31 years B.C., so really close to when Jesus comes on the scene, and they're gone by 476. Now, they weren't completely gone until the 1400s when, when, when they were eventually completely wiped out. But then there came this emperor of Rome in the 300s, 313. His name was Constantine. Some folks say Constantine, his mom, led him to Jesus. Some folks say that. There's a variety of stories. Some folks say he wasn't a believer at all. He just wanted to have a national religion. He was pushing back against the persecution of the Christians. But he decriminalized Christian gatherings. And then the next thing you know, Christianity became the central religion for Rome, which in the day, everybody was really excited about, right? Because no more persecution. I don't know if you know about one of the Roman emperors. His name was Nero. And, and when Rome burned to the ground, parts of Rome burned to the ground, he, he blamed Christians. And you know how he punished them? He burned them on stakes over and over and over and over. Followers of Jesus were martyred just because they called out his name. That was the Roman Empire. Constantine made it the national religion, which probably was one of the worst things that ever happened to us. Because under persecution, the church 
thrived, you could not hold the church of Jesus Christ down. Let me just say something real quick. Tuesday will not change the status of the church of Jesus Christ. It will not infect us. Matter of fact, it might help us if it goes the wrong way, or I don't know how it can't go the wrong way. Anyway, there's just this possibility that even if Tuesday's horrible, it'll help us because finally somebody has to actually stand up for what they believe in. So perhaps when they took prayer out of schools, it helped us. Everything about that way? You'd be like, forced prayer really never accomplished anything. Prayer from the heart accomplished something. Perhaps when they pulled the Ten Commandments out, our real problem wasn't that they took the Ten Commandments out of school. It was that the Christians don't know what the Ten Commandments are or want to live by them. Perhaps the problem with prayer is not that we don't pray in school, but that we don't pray on our knees in the morning. Folks crying about not praying in school, but don't pray. That don't make any sense to me. But that's what the church is made up of in the United States, often. So that's the government of the Bible. About 476, things got a little bit more complicated as a variety of nations began to rule. But we're outside the Bible's timeline at that point. Jesus has come and gone. The apostles have come and gone. And uh, we roll into this great book at the end of the Bible, which... Man, since this, this election is so weird, I thought we got to read something from Revelation, right? We got to at least get to Antichrist or something because it feels so chaotic. We ought to jump into Revelation. So let me read you a little passage. Revelation chapter 7. <clears throat> Just so you know, if you don't, Revelation is primarily prophecy. Not completely, but it's primarily prophecy. And uh, the guy who wrote it also wrote the Gospel of John that we spent weeks and weeks in. <clears throat> and he wrote... This, as he has a vision, this is chapter 7, verse 9. I want to read it to you. After I saw a vast crowd too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, they were clothed with white robes and they held palm branches in their hands. So, so catch this. <clears throat> it's a vast crowd. Anybody Cubs fans in here? Okay, Cubs fans. And Cubs fans are everywhere. This Cubs fans everywhere. This is South Carolina. Got to be Braves fans. Anyway, this Cubs fans. There were three million Cubs fans. They say in the top ten biggest gatherings of people all time after the Cubs win. Just because we're celebrating, then they're not going to lose anymore. It's kind of like this celebration from 100 years of losing. They won the World Series at this party. And when you see a vast crowd, you see that on the news? A vast crowd is going to be gathered before a throne. You talk about government. This is not an elected official. This guy sits down on the throne and everybody shows up. Why? <clears throat> because he is just truly the king. Thank you, bro. Appreciate it. I did need that. Oh, extra points for you, man. That's good. Thank you. <clears throat> uh, so this gr- vast crowd. Did you catch who the crowd is? Nations, tribes, languages. So just, just so you can prepare yourself. When you get to see Jesus on his throne, everybody ain't going to look like you, right? As a matter of fact, I'm betting, I bet my $10 that there's going to be an Asian dude standing beside you. You know why? Because there's 120 million Chinese Christians right now. So the stats are just going their way. I bet you there's going to be someone from South Africa, not the nation, but the southern parts of Africa. The gospel is just exploding, as is the population. And there are believers everywhere. They're being persecuted in many places, but it's just exploding. 
Not going to be a lot of white folks. It's not going to be all white folks at the throne if you white. It's not going to be all uh, African-Americans. It's going to be real Africans, like right from Africa. Not African-Americans. It's not going to be just Americans. We're going to have a tiny little piece of the pie, and it's going to be this great deal of nations. And guess what's going to happen? We're not all going to merge into one color because we're before the Lord. We're going to enjoy our colors. We're going to be there with a variety of colors before the throne of Jesus Christ and all the pride and the pigment in your skin will be gone because we will be before the, the king of glory and we'll be overwhelmed by who he is. And it's going to be a worship party. Can't wait to get there. It says that there was a great roar. Evidently, the roar is not going to be C, L, E. You know, that, I always get messed up on that, so I got to quit before I get there. It's not going to be some chicken hollering when there's a touchdown. I hate that sound, man. That thing drives me crazy. Even if I was a Gamecock fan, I'd hate that sound. We actually are going to say this. Salvation comes from our God while he sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And you can just imagine the masses, every woman, every man, shouting at the top of their lungs, salvation comes from, it will be as if we get before the Savior and we'll recognize what we really got. You know, sometimes show up on Sunday, it's hard to worship. I mean, crazy week, chaos everywhere. It's hard just to slow down and remember the sacrifice of the Savior. When we actually see the Savior, we're going to be awed. We're going to be overwhelmed. And we see the Savior. A lot, a lot of folks in the room that are a little older get this better because they, they, they understand it through the years of being with the Savior. There's this awe of who he is, and we're going to recognize what a great gift that is. And so we're just going to have to yell it. Salvation's from the Lord. When we yell it together, we'll do it all in unison. It'll be this great roar of people as we recognize the leader of our government, the king of glory. It goes on. It says, uh, and all the angels were standing around the throne. I mean, you talk about angels. They make Captain America look like a punk, right? You got, you got all the angels around the throne, and, and, and they're worshiping. And it says, and around the elders, all the great leaders, the elders, and the four living beings, and they fell before the throne on their faces, the ground, and they worshiped God. And they said, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever, amen. And it's just a worship service. It don't matter who you are. If you there, you're on your knees, and it is the best feeling you ever had in your life because you're before the maker of life. So on Tuesday, don't cry, right? Tuesday is a day where, where whatever happens in the United States happens, but on Tuesday, remember who your king is, and it's not debatable. There's no vote, and he, he's the great and good king who serves his people so well. I don't know if you've ever seen like the old videos of the Beatles coming to town and the little girls come in, the Beatles will come in the door. I don't know what, this little skinny little dudes, and they'll come in the door and, and, and little girls will just freak out. <laughs> they'll freak out and they'll like, fall on their face. It's just like, it, it's insane. Or if you ever listen to Paul Feinbaum's show, he's a sports guy, and the Alabama fan calls in, he's 65 and like he's just smitten with Nick Saban. And he's just overwhelmed, like he's falling all over his words because he's so happy about Nick. It, it that pales in comparison to walking into the presence of the living God and being overwhelmed by his sheer presence. I might even break, break out in a song, right? Some of us might get far beyond all of our, our, our carefulness because of his greatness. 
Let me tell you something. That's a king. That's not just a king. That's the king of kings. So you can go through all the rulers, Nero, Constantine, whoever our next president is. We're talking about the king of kings. That's who I know. And I claim the right to come before that throne through the blood of Jesus. Revelation chapter 20. It's a little heavy in Revelation chapter 20. We're getting to the end of the book. I'm going to read you some verses. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. Imagine this throne has been whitewashed with bleach. It's perfect. It's holy. There's no flaw in it. I saw a great white throne and one sitting on it. And the earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I've seen some animals in my yard on occasion. I run out there, they run away because they're scared of me. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the earth and the sky. I don't even fully understand the blue sky. They flee from his presence. This isn't the Jesus that we read about or, or see pictures of often with, with the little sweet blue eyes and look like he wants to give you a hug. We're talking about he shows up on the scene on the great white throne and the earth and the sky flee from his presence. It's not a place to go in. Without fear. Check out what it says. And the books were opened. I hope you feel this. Verse 12. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life. I don't know how that sounds to you, but I just hear the book clumping on the table. And I don't picture this great line of people. I just picture one person. You, me, at the great white throne. He said he saw the dead, both great and small. It won't matter what your bank account looks like. It won't matter what color you are. Nothing will really matter. I want to implore you today, you do not want to be at the great white throne. You want to miss it. In a minute, I'll explain how. But it won't matter what you've done, what you've done well or what you've done poorly. I can make a list. You can list all the heinous things that we could do on this earth. You could be that guy. You could be the guy who's giving away the majority of your income. You don't want to show up at the great white throne. But the great and the small before God's throne. And the books were open, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done and recorded in the books. And the sea gave up its dead. There's nowhere to hide. And death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death. And anyone, check this out, and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. I just read it. It's, not intense. it's intense. Imagine this angel, the record-keeping angel. He's sitting over beside Jesus on the great white throne. And I come by myself, nobody there to advocate for me. They ask me my name, and I say, John Reeves. And he flips to the R's. And then he flips to the R's. He eventually gets to Reeves. And then he gets to John. 
Then he needs my middle name, Douglas, because there's a lot of people. Might ask my parents' name, Larry and Shirley. Might ask my hometown, Anderson. And then he slides his finger down the page, and he looks up at the great king. Just shake his head. That'll be the only outcome at the great white throne. If your name's not put in the book of life, you will be judged by your deeds. If you're judged by your deeds, you have no chance of eternal glory with the Father because he cannot allow a failure in his presence. We needed a sacrifice. A sacrifice was given, and you rejected it. So your name's not in the great book of life. And so now you're rejected. It's solemn. It's heavy. It hurts to even speak it. But I have to speak it. Because that day's coming. Day's coming. We will stand before the king of glory. Great White Throne seems to be only for folks that have rejected the Savior, only for folks that have not believed in Jesus. So what, what would I say to you today? Please believe. Please believe. You're like, man, I've seen too much. This stuff, this thing's a hoax. I hear you, but do the time. Maybe you've seen some Christians that are just, yeah, I hear you. I've seen them too, that I don't know what they are. There's going to be some deacons at the Great White Throne, Right? There's going to be some folks that carry the mantle that don't really know the Lord. They're going to be there. So don't make your judgment based on them. Make your judgment based on this and do the time. Some of y'all have done countless hours trying to figure out this election on the 8th, right? Most of us have been stressed at some level by this election on the 8th. Do the time here. We're talking about your eternal destiny. We're not talking about something small like the American election in the face of the history of the world. That's even small in the history of the world. We're talking about, but we're not talking about something tangible to us at this moment. We're talking about fourth dimension, eternity. Do the time. Please avoid Revelation chapter 20. I won't be there, nor do I want you to be. Let Let me just say this, because sometimes we run away. At Radius, what we really like to do is tell you about the greatness of the Savior. And we like to motivate you to believe in the Savior by his greatness and his generosity and his, and his grace. And so oftentimes on Sunday, we, Derek and I, or, or anybody else on this stage or in small group, we're pressing you to the goodness of the Father and his Son, Jesus. But let me tell you, it's a very legitimate reason for you to go search out the Scriptures by the fear of an eternity in hell. That's how I came to Jesus. Some Sunday school teacher, this teacher scared the hell out of me. Little boy, I was scared to death. I don't know what she said or what picture she put up on the flannel boy, but I didn't want none of that. So I had to start searching my heart. It made me check my heart, and I evaluated my deeds, and I saw that my deeds come, and not, not like heavier on the good side. It's just that I had bad deeds. It's not, you can't outweigh them with good deeds. It's if you have any bad deeds, then you're a sinner. As a matter of fact, we go further than that. I felt like I was born into this world according to the Scripture as a sinner. I had no chance outside of that 
And so the fear of hell pushed me to discover how do I escape? And then I ran into a Jesus who's generous and loving and gracious. And I've enjoyed that relationship for a long time now, thankfully. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So evidently, according to the scriptures, if you don't believe, you'll go to the great white throne. Hopefully nobody in this room will show up, Revelation 20. Hopefully everybody will show up, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. We call it the, the judgment seat of Christ. You talk about a king. We got some guys we're about to elect into office and we're sweating it. We're talking about a guy who places himself on the throne as the great king of glory and says that he has the right to judge every person that's ever walked the face of the earth, including where they'll spend eternity. So we come to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5.10, and it's a really great passage. I don't have time to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read verse 10. For we must stand before Christ to be judged. That means me. I follow Jesus. I must stand before the king of glory to be judged. We each receive whatever we deserve for good or evil uh, we have done in this earthly body. So evidently, I'm going to stand before the king. I'm going to come to a different judgment seat, the judgment seat of Christ, which means I'm in. That's good news. It's good to get into the concert. Now where am I going to sit? You know what I'm saying? It's good to get to look at him and and be overwhelmed by who he is. And when you see him at the the entry gate, you're like, I want to be as close to the stage as I could possibly be. Because look at him. He's more than I ever could have imagined. But according to 2 Corinthians and according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he's going to judge me. He's going to welcome me in. Because he paid the full price on my behalf. But at the same time, I I have this impression of that moment when I stand before Jesus that he's going to barely need to state any judgments. I'm going to judge myself. Because when I see his greatness, I'm going to just be overwhelmed by why I didn't do more. I also think the things that I did with the right heart, some things that you don't know about, some things that you do know about, the things that I did, I'm going to celebrate. Like, wow, so glad. You know, that, that person that I helped back in, I'm so glad. When I see him, I'm so glad because it just makes sense. Look at him. He's the king of glory. He deserved everything I got. And then on the flip side, some of them will be religious stuff. Some, some stuff that I thought I was doing good to kind of promote myself. Actually, 1 Corinthians talks about wood, hay, and stubble. Sometimes the folks that look the best just got vinyl siding on the house, right? It's wood, hay, and vinyl stubble siding. You light a match to it, it burns. I'm not knocking if you got vinyl siding. I got some vinyl siding too. But I'm just saying, you light a match to it, it's going to burn. And that same passage says some of our lives, will be, it'll come out as gold, silver, and precious stones. Anybody got that on your house? I want to come see it all right, because that'd be sweet. But, but when it's tested by fire, we could spend our whole lives building something that doesn't hold up under the fire. And when we get before the king, it's going to be evaluated. I'm not sure how it's going to go down. I don't know if somebody's going to read out the judgment, if he's going to speak the judgment. I don't, I don't know. If we will figure out our own judgment in that, and, and perhaps, I mean, some folks would say everybody gets to go into the concert and the concert is going to rock because Jesus is going to be the star, but you might be in the balcony, right? Hey, it's a balcony seat. You in, baby. You in. That's a good thing, but you could. I, mean, I don't know how that's going to work. We, it's in here and there's ideas of it throughout the Gospels. But here's the reality. The government, we ought to be really concerned about. 
is the one that Jesus is the king of. And one day we stand before him as our judge. What's he going to say to you? I'm, I'm anticipating. I'm anticipating that day. I anticipate that day with some fear. Because anytime you're around somebody great, there's some fear. Right? But this is the greatest of the great. But, but I'm also anticipating with some joy. Because of my understanding of that, that I belong there. Not because of my own work. He's not going to evaluate, he's not going to evaluate my deeds as, as to salvation. But that he's going to evaluate me as I am, as one of his brothers, as, as the son of God. So I'm going to belong there. I, there's this anticipation in Matthew that he could potentially step down and give me a hug and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I'm not sure if you will in my case. I heard Billy Graham say that, and I wept. Somebody asked Billy Graham, aren't you excited about how the Lord's going to step down and give you a hug and say, well done? And he said, I'm not really sure he's going to do that. That's a good view of the king of glory. I don't, he don't owe me nothing. I owe him everything. Let me wrap up with this. Don't cry on Tuesday night. I don't know what's going to happen, but don't cry. All right? Please don't post it on Facebook. If you do cry, just cry at the house. All right? Don't post it on Facebook. Because we need the Holy Spirit to do something on, on, on November the 8th. Right? We need the Holy Spirit to do something. We don't need him to elect the official. We need to have the Holy Spirit help you forgive the person you haven't forgiven yet. Why would you care about the President of the United States if you're bitter towards somebody and you have not submitted to the King of Glory? The President of the United States is stressing you more than the bitterness in your soul. Then you don't understand politics. Because politics is about standing before the King of Glory. So I'm thinking, I'm, I'm hoping we're going to vote on Tuesday. You got 48 hours. And somebody who you're bitter at, vote. For the king of glory and forgive him. That was said too easy. Begin the process of forgiveness. Shoot, you probably ought to put a 20 in your pocket and go eat at a restaurant around here and leave it on the table and vote for the king of glory because he's a generous king. Some of y'all might want to put a hundy in there because y'all got that kind of stuff. But, but a 20 will work. You might want to just drop it to some stranger and you're like, but I don't know how they're going to use it. Get over it, bro. Just be generous like the king is. He's generous to everybody. You might want to vote by praying for somebody you don't like because that's how the king of glory works. You might want to get up 15 minutes early on Tuesday and pray. Just pray. You don't even have to pray about who wins. <laughs> Just pray because that tells the world who the king of glory is. It tells how the government actually works on the face of this. It tells who's in control because you're on your knees submitted to the real king. Maybe you should share the gospel on Tuesday. Maybe it's a moment to declare who's the king of glory. There won't be a vote. It's done. He's got it. He paid away. Matter of fact, that would be a wonderful discipline for the followers of Jesus on an election day to share the truth about Jesus and relieve some of the stress in our nation, regardless who wins. Relieve the stress by reminding folks or telling them for the first time who's in control. 
Maybe you should discipline your kid on Tuesday, right? Tuesday morning, you're going to be like, this is one for the king. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Because <laughs> we need some discipline in this world, do we not? Maybe you should hug your child and give him a kiss on the cheek and bless him on his way to school for the king of glory. It makes a statement because then we take what was given to us and we pass it on. Nothing greater for a grandfather or a great-grandfather to see the stuff he laid in a child passed on to his child's child, to his child's child's child. Because you're a patriarch. You're a living representative of the king of glory. Who wants to give all good things to his kids. Politics, according to the scriptures. Let's pray.